Hey, everybody, and welcome to the newest episode of The Veterinary Optimist. I'm your host, Jennifer Evans. I wanted to take this opportunity and say thank you for following along on this new podcast journey with me. I've really enjoyed getting this content to you, and some of that has been a big learning curve for me. Like this episode, for example, I was so excited to introduce this next guest that I totally messed up his intro. So here I am re-recording to make sure that he gets the proper introduction. Dr. Danny Earle received his doctorate of veterinary medicine from Texas A&M University in 1989. After veterinary school, Dr. Earle practiced in Sealy and New Braunfels before finally returning to San Antonio. Dr. Earle's professional interest includes soft tissue and orthopedic surgery, as well as internal medicine. Dr. Earle has owned multiple practices, including him acquiring ownership of Covenant Care Animal Hospital in 2001. He is currently a medical director of an eight-doctor practice that is known for its culture and is rated one of the top veterinary clinics in San Antonio by several publications. Everybody, let's please welcome Dr. Danny Earle. Dr. Earle, one, welcome, and thank you for being here. Oh, you bet. Thanks for having me. Uh, and then two, I really wanted to just talk for a second about how we first met, because I'd like for my listeners to have a little bit of insight of how I come across some of my guests. And I had the opportunity of working for a large company. Right. And with that company, I was able to go into a lot of different practices. Sure. And one of the best things that came from that, many great things came from that. But one of the best things that came from that is I had the ability to ask veterinarians with a lot of experience what would you tell a baby doc getting out of school just now about to start practicing? Most veterinarians, Dr. Earl, they had to take a second, reflect. They needed a few minutes without blinking an eye. You looked right at me and said, don't judge people. You said, be honest. And you said, you can't please everybody. Yeah. You did not have to reflect on that at all. That came right right off the top of your head. And I knew immediately that not only did I want to be an acquaintance through work, but that I wanted to be your friend. And that was the very beginning. That was the very, (laughs) that was the very beginning of me um, trying to set this friendship up. Okay. Um, And, and to me like that speaks now that I've known you for a while, that speaks loudly of who you are as a human being. And I guess that leads us right into being able to start this interview. Doc is, Far too often, we hear a lot about we're in it for the animals. This is the animal business. Um, and and to me, and I think to you too, and I'm going to find out you know, what this question is, I think it's more of a human business. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, there's no doubt. I mean, there's no doubt that it's a people business. I mean, I tell people all the time, it's a people business, it's a people business, it's a people business. So many people, I think, kind of under the guise of wanting to help animals or loving animals or whatever, find their way into this area of life uh, and business. And it doesn't take them long to be burned out or sadly disappointed because these guys don't come in on their own. You know, from the time you start, especially as a practice owner, even as an associate veterinarian, or even as a team member, um, you're going to be surrounded with people. You know, you need someone to help you hold. You, you the, the clients... Um, the clients are our heroes. You know, the, the animals are just the icing on the cake. And so if you're not a people person or if that if, if helping people is not somehow some small part of your why, you're not going to be very satisfied for very long because you can have a pet and enjoy um, the relationship you have with the animals. But to be in this industry and to be in this profession, you have to you have to love people. I think we 
I'm, I'm going to get carried away, but I think we talked at one point in time about um, several uh, really, really good practitioners that we know, and they are excellent practitioners, but they, when you get to know them personally, they are always frustrated and always at the edge of burning out. Why? Because they can't, they don't like handling people. And, uh, you know, they'll tell you my, my biggest three problems are staff, staff, and staff, or clients, clients, clients. Well, it shouldn't be that way. Dr. Earl, we're 45 seconds into this, into this interview, and I'm going to just automatically quote something you just said. You said, people are the heroes, animals are the icing on the cake. That's right. What a way to start an interview. What a way to really stake your ground and who you are. I mean, that is that is a beautiful statement because I agree with you. And in, in not even when we're talking about the clients as the heroes, as the humans, but the team members as the humans. Oh, that's right. And whenever we talk about these practitioners, these ones that consistently feel like they're at the end of their rope, you're absolutely correct. A top three things when I ask somebody, what is vet medicine struggling with? They say, I can't keep staff. Yeah. Our clients are hard to deal with. And I, the training is a problem. Yeah. Those are the three things I hear over and over and over sure. again. And, and, and what you've said in the first 45 seconds is, has encompassed what I think the majority of those three things are. Would you say that that's a true statement? Yeah, I mean, it's so true. And I think the sooner, it took me a long time to get to, to the point where I really wanted to invest in, uh, not so much where I want to invest in people in my life because I've always been a giver and I've always, I've always enjoyed investing in people's lives. And, um, but as an owner, I would say it took me a long time to realize that, you know, the, the team you build, the culture you create or that they create, um, at the end of the day is going to really make things satisfying for everyone, not just the owner, but I mean, you know, the team members and the clients too. You can tell the difference. You said you used to go into a lot of different practices and you did. And, you know, you could tell a difference when you came into my practice. It was a huge difference. It was a huge difference. Yeah. People felt valued. They felt like they belonged yeah. somewhere. They felt like they were a part of, of what was great about your practice. And it stood miles apart from many that I went into. And that's not taking away from these other great facilities that no, I went into. No, no. I don't want to, I don't want to 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 diminish that but when good is being done well it needs to be highlighted and and that's why it's funny i did a podcast just the other day and it got released gosh i think it was released this morning and in that podcast i actually reference you and i say how excited i am about the busy conversations that we're going to have and how i consider you like my mr miyagi because what you have done in your practice is what i'm trying to help with in other clinics that are struggling so badly, right? Like you have done it right. You are living proof of it, right? So here's my question with this. This is a this is a great lead into kind of the next question. Was it always that way? Did you always know that culture was at the top of your list for how you wanted to run your practice? No, I would tell you, I, I was just like everyone else. I mean, I, I love veterinary medicine. I'm a good practitioner. Um, you know, loved helping animals. And as, as things grew and we grew and grew and grew, um, it, you know, the same, I had the same frustrations as everyone else with staff and with, you know, clients and things like that until you come to embrace the, the, the fact that, uh, you know, 
you just have to create an environment where people can prosper. You have to hire the right people. You have to help them find what motivates them and provide that that type of environment where they can where they can really thrive and do well. And, and uh, it was so worth it. I mean, I used to I used to really when I first started out. Um, my wife's a CPA and she's my life partner and you know partner in business and everything. And and I should have listened to her more. Um, probably um, I would have been a lot further along. But, um, you know, she's always just been so good with people, too, and I, I realized that. And so at some point along the way, um, somebody brought up the term culture, and um, it really resonated with me because I realized right away when we started talking about that that that's what was wrong with my practices is that uh, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't that the people were wrong. It wasn't that, you know, the clients are always irritated or anything like that or that, you know, um, management is so tough. It's just uh, that the culture wasn't right. And uh, every every place has a culture and ours just needed to kind of be killed and rebirthed. And so that was the start of really the epiphany of culture. And I've, I've worked very hard at that um, ever since. And it's, it's paid off huge dividends. Okay. When you say killed and rebirthed, did you like actually do that? Did you like sit everybody down and say, hey, yeah. this is... Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, the first thing I did is I sat everybody down and I, I said, okay, you know, there is this thing called culture. We do have one. And I, I will tell you, it, it, it dictates how we behave. I said, you know, I have, I have 50 pages of very godly policies and it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't change behavior. What I need is something that can change behavior and, and, uh, and bring out the best in people. And so I got to talking about my staff and I said, you know, for my part in that, I, I apologized to him. I said, I am sorry. I mean, I have not been running this the way I feel like it should be run. And, uh, you know, nobody is perfect, but I, I, I take a big part of that responsibility. But I said, it's also your responsibility. I said, guys, you know, I want you to build something that you're proud of. I want you to build something that you enjoy coming to work every day. And so it, it got down to me asking each and every one individually by themselves, but what's your why? You know, what is the reason? And I don't want a foo-foo answer. I want to know the reason you get your butt out of bed or you can't get your butt out of bed and put on your, your pants and come to work every day to this place. I want to know what really motivates you. And, you know, sadly, most people don't know. Mm-mm. I mean, they don't know their why. And Mm-mm. I think it's important, and we talked about this a little bit last time we visited, but, you know, there are certain aspects of human behavior that are very contagious, you know. You can go in the mm-hmm. military and somebody can say, let's go take that hill, and, you know, courage is contagious, right? And and uh, yeah, Courage can, is contagious. Is yeah, that what you just said? Yeah, you I can, love that. You can get, uh, it doesn't mean you're not scared, but you can get people to follow you um, with enough courage. Also, you know, cowardice is contagious as well. We saw that in Uvalde, right? I mean, it's a really mm. sad situation, man. But yeah, I've trained law enforcement people in the hallway, and all it would have taken is one person to say, "Let's go take that guy." But no, they just the, the cowardice was contagious. I mean, some of those were elite law professionals. I mean, they weren't all Uvalde well trained, absolutely Texas Rangers, mm-hmm. DPS. I mean, so you know that is. But I, I would also say wiser contagious too. So you have mm-hmm. to be careful with that. If you're sitting in a room of people and you say why do you come here? Well, I want to be part of a team. Well, I want to make a difference in people's lives. 
well, the next person is going to say, oh, I got to say something really good because I'm, you know, but everyone's afraid to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if you don't know. That's part of my job as a leader is to help you find your why and try to get you where you need to go. And it surprisingly for some team members, it may not be in veterinary medicine at all. It may just be a stepping stone. Part of my job is to get them to where they, in my little wheelhouse, get them to where they can succeed. I, I, I just, I cannot with you sometimes. I love every thing that you say. I love your brain. I, I, you I have a higher bar. I, I'm, no, I don't. Like you have the bar that I want everybody to set. Like the way the things that you speak and the things that you say and how much you care and how much you believe that it can be a stepping stone. Veterinary medicine is not for everybody, but it can be a beautiful place to grow while yeah. you figure out where you want to fly next. And it is about the leader to set the tone of that. And it is about sometimes you have people who don't know what direction they're going to go. I was in practice. And if somebody would have came up and said my why, I know that I would have had it identified even when I was still actively in a clinic, right? Like I had to do a lot of growing once I started to get to the to the tail end of me being in practice. And I remember sitting down and, and sitting down and really digging into what is my why? What is my purpose? Yeah. And how am I going to show up as a person, right? And you know what I love about that is it's like you've done the same thing, but in a larger scale, when we talk about the culture that you've built at your practice, right? You sat everybody down, mm-hmm. you talked about the why, and then you did things like set core values for sure. your practice. Can I ask sure. this question? Can the majority of your staff members name off your core core values? Yeah. Okay. I yeah. love that. Is that something that you work on with them or is that something that that you just lead and they understand that's how we show up? So right before I came here, I had a team member that asked to meet with myself and, and a practice manager. She said, uh, Hey, Dr. Earl, you know, last at the last staff training, um, I hardly speak at our staff trainings anymore, but I felt like I, I needed to get up and, and really go over the why piece again, because you can tell when people lose their focus because they're not leading themselves. And so we had a little bit of that. We had a little disengagement, which is rough. And so she, uh, she said, you know, part of my why is really dealing with clients. She's a technician. She's excellent. Um, really dealing with clients. And she said, you know, so I started looking at our Google reviews and of course we're corporately owned now. So there's a lot of stuff that, that we don't have control over. But there's a lot of stuff we do. Right. And uh, she said, some of them are just not being answered. Well, that, that fell out of our wheelhouse. And um, she goes, I would really like to set some time aside weekly and, um, and answer these people. I can answer the good ones. I can answer the bad ones, but they need to be answered. And I'm like, you're so right. When we own the practice, we answer every single one of them. And I said, what what led you to do that? She goes, I just want to fulfill my lines. I want to make a difference. I, she's getting married and she's going to be leaving in a, you know six months or a year. She says, I just want to make my mark, my mark here. And I want people to know when they talk about me, this was my why and this was my purpose, aside from everything else that she did. So that's a pretty cool example of culture. You know, it's an incredible example of culture. Yeah, it's incredible. That just happened today. It's perfect timing for us to be able to talk about it. Yeah. You know, whenever I realized, Doc, whenever I sat myself down and decided and defined my own personal why, my own personal purpose, and how I was going to show up. It's funny. I do a lot of a lot of podcast and a lot of reading and a lot of looking into how you know I want to live my life, right? And I was talking to a or I was listening to a relationship coach one day. One day, his name's Matthew Hussey. And he said, you know, when you're looking for your partner, 
and you have these ideas of who you want. He said, pick out the top five that you want in a partner, right? And then be that person. And I thought to myself, wow, I really, I really like that, right? And so I defined those top five things, right? And then I became that person. And each time what I started to realize is that when I showed up that way, I really liked who I was. When mm -hmm. I felt that in me, I liked that. And then I started to realize that it's not just a partner. It's a boss. It's a work relationship. It's a friendship. Like I wanted to show up that way in every one of my relationships. And I feel like when you set core values and not just like put them on a piece of paper sure. and stick them on a wall and say, look, we put our core values up here. You just to, it's just ink on paper. You have to live them. Right. And I believe that you do that in that practice. And I believe that it's done because you, you set the bar of how you want other people to show up and you live that purpose and you live those core values. And it, it lets everybody else see that one, it can be done. And that two, that's what's expected when you're in those, when you're in those walls. Sure. So I, I agree with that. I think that the, the core values really, you know, I can tell you this after years of being policy driven hospital, it's not fun. You, 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 you don't want someone to break policy, write them up, kick them out, write them up, kick them out. You know, you, you want you want people to be value driven. You want people to be driven by something more than policy. Again, it's the same paper. It doesn't drive behavior. You want them to be driven by something that's going to change behavior. And so they, we came up with our five core values, and they're very simple. And um, we all agreed that, that uh, okay, like, like you said, ink on paper. This value means we're going to act this way. This is bare minimum, you know, we're going to have respect for each other. Bare minimum, we're going to be courteous, you know, choose to be a blessing, our first core value, right? Those are bare minimums. And our staff knows that and they live it every day. So what makes it really cool is that it makes it really easy to see when someone's outside that culture. Mm. And you have a choice, you can either bring them back into the fold. Or eventually, sadly, maybe liberate them to find another culture that they can express their why and, um, you know, and, and grow in. Because, you know, our culture doesn't fit everyone, and that's okay. There's no right or wrong. It's just, it just is what it is, you know. But, yeah. Um, the, the I even values, love how you put that when you talk about liberating somebody, because you're right. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. people don't want to live by those values, and sometimes people want something different, and you can't control that. What you no. can control is whether or not you're going to allow that kind of um, non-core driven, non-core value driven personality or or situation to stay within the practice. And I completely agree with that. Well, it's not even non-core value. It's just a different value. You know, right. it might be a different value driven behavior. And that's fine. It's just that those are not our values. And eventually it's going to clash with who we are. And, uh, you know, my job is to protect the culture. That's my job is to protect the culture. Um, uh, they're... Their job is to police it. That can be a little weak sometimes, but we do in our in our clinic. We see team members, especially senior team members, all the time go to people like if they're late or something and say, "Hey, you know, when you're late, it, this is what happens. It really bothers us." And those kind of things change behavior. They've already they already know they broke policy, right? Policy doesn't have anything to do with it. At the end of the day, I told you this is so true. Culture eats policy for lunch. Culture Every does eat day. policy for lunch. I completely agree. I'm going to give you an example right here. We talked about this. We talked about this the other day. Here's an example. Technician comes in late, right? You have senior technicians uh -huh. who live these core values. That's right. And they 
are holding their team members accountable, That's how right? Versus Sally comes in late and then the senior technicians get together, huddle up, go to some doctors, huddle up, mm -hmm. go to some front desk and just talk about how Sally was late right. and how she doesn't care. Right. And that is where we talk about the cowardness spreading like wildfire because it's, in my opinion, it's easier to go and talk about it to everybody else. It takes courage yeah. to go up to ta Sally and say, Hey, Sally, listen, like this is a, this is a thing. Like you're hurting us when you do this, right. you know? Well, yeah. So gossip can kill the culture, but I'll tell you, it doesn't happen overnight. I can remember a lot of times when we decided, you know, this is how we're going to live. You know, this is going to be our culture. Uh, when someone come in the office, say, Dr. Lillow, she did this, she did that. And I would say, man, that's too bad. What did she say when you talked to her about it? Well, what do you mean? I didn't talk to her about it. Well, you talked to everybody else about it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Productive. If you talk to her, I can facilitate that discussion for you. But that's our culture now. You don't want to go talking. Would you yeah. correct them like that? Sure. What a perfect example. Yeah. That's exactly yeah, what should be done. Well, yeah. That is exactly yeah. what should be done. They should feel safe coming to you as a leader. Sure. They should be safe telling you that they're struggling with Sally coming in. And then it should be like, we're not going to go talk to everybody about this. We're going to talk to Sally and I'll be there to, to help you along. But, but you get to have this conversation because that's part of how we choose to run this practice. Right. And, you know, the, the good thing is, uh, you know, it grows. If you can nurture it, it grows. So you don't have to have those, facilitate those discussions anymore. Our senior techs or senior CSRs, they'll, they'll do that. Um, that's not even, that's hardly even a management thing anymore. It's the culture, driving the culture. I would say that's probably the weakest part of the culture. That's really hard to develop. Well, the um, making the culture accountable for itself is, is hard to develop. But once you get there, it's a beautiful thing. Do you feel like you've done it? I feel like uh, I never feel like it's uh, I, I, I don't take my finger off the pulse and there's no cruise control. You know, um, I think you just it's something you have to nurture every day, even as a corporately owned practice. You know, our culture is still thriving. Um, it, it can it can withstand that that transition of ownership right um that's that's probably what i'm most proud of after we've uh after we transitioned ownership um two years ago is that our culture is still vibrant so i'm going to hover in this area for a little bit and then and then i know we're going to jump on to something like the next part of our uh interview but i asked you this the other day and you reassured me that i could bring this back up because i think it's important right you have a phenomenal culture and you did choose sell your practice right mm -hmm. and 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 i just want to make sure that i pause right here and, and make sure that i make it very clear that i stand behind veterinarians who have worked their entire life to build up these practices to have the best opportunity possible to retire mm -hmm. my doctor did it i never once looked down on him sure. or had any ill will towards him because i knew that he worked his entire life he deserved it right, right. and so you came up to this point you made the decision to sell. And I do know that even though you had an incredible, you have an incredible culture, you had a couple of your senior members yeah. not stay with you. That's correct. Did that hurt you? Uh, personally, yeah, I did a little bit. Uh, the worst thing that happened was we had one doctor that, that really um, took it personally. In retrospect, I think she felt like, even though she hadn't been there very long at all, I think she felt like, 
she may be able to have ownership in the practice sometime. We never, ever discussed, nor did I ever lead on in any way, shape, or form that that would happen. But it became such a personal thing with her. And she did um, really, uh, you know, poison the waters a little bit for some of those team members that left. And what, what was, what was um, hurtful at the time was that she was doing that and that she could sway some of those people away from our culture. But let me tell you what's happened. The two of them have come back. I mean, and they they came in and apologized and said, look, yeah, it was wrong. They both went with her. And um, and that's fine. It's fine. I wish her the very best. No, you do. But um, at the end of the day, they're like, oh, gosh, it's the biggest mistake I've ever made. You know, will you please take me back? And they're, they're working for us now. Well, and it's because the majority of people don't focus on what you have focused on. I said this to you. I don't remember exactly when I said it, but you're kind of like a unicorn, right? And I, and in my opinion, there are not many, especially in your generation of graduates, your class members that have put in the, in the hard work and put culture as high as you have. Do you feel like you're different? When did you recognize, I say different, but stand out is definitely a statement I would use. Well, I feel like I'm blessed. <laughs> I feel that yeah, way. I don't, uh, I will say that I feel like a lot of people never reach the epiphany of, of culture and, and how good it can be. And then people my age, you know, I'm not a spring chicken, so um, most of them are retiring, so they just don't put the effort into that, which is a shame. I mean, a lot of them actually can't wait to get out of their practices. And as long as I'm working and practicing, I wouldn't practice anywhere else my practice and that's a, that's an honest statement i mean i just I, I and like you never that. see that because you want to know why when people in my experience from what i have seen heard and lived through the majority of people when they sell they cannot wait to leave the practice they can't wait to officially retire and not work in that clinic any longer as if they're freeing themselves from something and you are way different you're excited to stay there. You're excited to continue being a part of it. You're excited to still lead it. Well, I I feel as though there's, I always have now, I always have the question for me of when is the time? You know, we have five kids, grandkids, ranch, a lot of things just pulling. Um, my wife and I both had health issues last year. Um, and so, yeah, you go through those things and, and you realize that time's very precious. Like I said, as long as I'm practicing, as long as I still want to practice, I wouldn't practice anywhere else. So there will be a time where I'm going to say, you know, this is it. But um, I haven't reached that time yet. I love that. Okay, we're going to move on to your KPDs, okay? Yeah. When, I, when we were talking and you showed me an example of your KPD, and I'm going to read it out really quick because I think this is really important. For anybody who doesn't know, KPD is key production driver meetings, right? Right. Um. This speaks highly of who you are and how valuable you hold your team members. And, and I don't know if our listeners have recognized it throughout our conversation, but you always, you never say I, you always say we, you never say I, you always say them. You're always paying it forward to these staff members that work side by side with you. Um, and this right here, I think is one of the most incredible things that you could do to better understand. You know, I talk a lot about safe spaces, right? And that's a lot of what this means is, production driver meetings and I almost in I say safe space and I think people get all bristly about that because they don't really understand it but I kind of explain it like a 
if we can do a fear-free exam on a cat, we should be able to do a fear-free cat. <laughs> that's a great point. Our staff members, right? That's a great point. And so that's how I like to explain it. Like, it's not, we're not like, we're just making it fear-free. We want them to talk to us. So I'm going to read this off and then I'm going to get your, I want to hear how this came about. Okay. And I know it even talks about, you know, how, how to break this down. It says, there are many things that can happen and issues that can occur that can damage or even destroy a culture. Usually though, it is the unsaid things that can cause this to happen. In most workplaces, there is no opportunity to explore and to deal with the unsaid. The unsaid are simply thoughts or ideas that are not expressed to leadership because there is no time or opportunity to do so. The main purpose of a KPD meeting is to provide a regular opportunity for team members to speak what they feel. Their thoughts and ideas should be welcomed and explored. KPDs are a major avenue of feedback from our team. We truly want our team members to know that we care about their ideas. Yeah. One, did you write that? I wrote it. I, I want to just hang out with you all the time. I want to be your best friend. I want to, like... Uh, you need to set that bar high. I, Listen, like whenever people see you, I want them to be like, hey, why is this awkward chick following you around all the time with a pen and paper? Like that's that's how much I want to be around you. So did you, when did this come up? When did this KPD idea come up? Well, um, so I've had the extreme blessing of being part of a management group for for a long period of time in my ownership life. Um, there were 20 practices in our group that were similar. There were larger practices and um, very innovative thinkers. And um, I, this didn't come out of that. This this came out of the fact that, that I realized that nobody really ever took time to uh, talk to our staff. We had a meeting one time and somebody had mentioned about, you know, talking to your doctors and stuff and all these, all these, people that are that I highly respected were were really not very good at communicating with their with their team members so in that uh part of that was at, at about the same time I just made it a point I said I'm going to go to every team member and I'm going to say you give me one idea this back when I was on the practice years ago you give me one idea of how we can make the practice better that's all I want to know is how can we make the practice better how can we make the client experience better if you could change one thing and you're sitting in my seat what would that one thing be the ideas were tremendous they were really tremendous they were things that I really hadn't given much thought to or that I didn't have time to give the thought to so I thought to myself right there and it's not like I did that all the time I did that one time it was at about the same time and I went to a meeting that Mike, Mike Abershoff was a keynote speaker at. Mike Abershoff was a commander in the Navy, and he was an assistant to the assistant secretary of defense. And um, long story short, his boss, the assistant secretary of defense, went on vacation, and he took over for two weeks. And when he came back, the secretary of defense said, man, he did a spectacular job. He said, boom, the next day. The guy was worried that he was going to take his job the next day. He was assigned to the warship of the Navy to command the warship in the Navy, the Benefold. And in one year, he turned around to the best ship in the Navy by far, all every standard. It's a great book. It's called It's Your Ship. It's Your Ship. Yeah, It's Your Ship. I'm, like, hey, I'm going to write. I'm actually going to write. Excellent yeah. speaker. Um, but one thing he said about that is that he didn't change his crew. He couldn't change his crew. So um, he did it with the same people, which I thought was fascinating. But 
basically, long story short, all he did was provide an avenue to listen to them and um, and use their ideas and give them ownership. So the KPD for me is definitely about exploring the unsaid because that's what's going to get you in trouble. You know, people get frustrated when they can't voice what's going on inside of them. Um, and that can tear up a culture pretty pretty badly. You don't want people to gossip about it. You just want to provide a, a safe avenue for them to share. And um, secondly, they have really, really, really good ideas. And so you can you can utilize those ideas in a lot of ways. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes, sometimes they just don't work out. It's not feasible to give everybody a month off or whatever the idea is. But their ideas about making the practice better, they see things from different perspectives. And that's really one thing that made us a whole lot and boy, you talk about giving them ownership when you use one of those ideas and they know it, mm-hmm. they're engaged. Yeah. And you call them out. Like if you're yeah. going to use an idea, you give them that, you give them that recognition too. That's huge. It becomes their practice, right? It's their mm-hmm. ideas. Their practice, so. Yeah. So. I love that. And, you know, we have so many things going on. I talk a lot about generational bias and, and about things that maybe we don't recognize and what the younger generations or even the older generations can bring to the table that we don't see the same way. And a lot of this talk about Gen Z, you know, they, they have a thing, they have a lot of things that differ from how we have always showed up. That doesn't make it right or wrong. It's just different, right? And one of their key drivers is that they want to feel like they have purpose. And if you're creating this space to hear their voice and then allowing them to be a part of the bigger picture in a way that honors like their ideas and, and who they are, you're really doing something that that's going to serve your practice because that's something that they are not going to live without. Like they, they're going to be somewhere where they feel like they have purpose, whether it is in your place or someone else's. Yeah. So what, what amazes me um, the most, probably one of the things that amazes me or most about being a corporate practice now is, you know, we're in an ecosystem and it's great. It's very well managed, very well run, but these managers and practice managers and medical directors, they have never met one-on-one with a team member. We have those KPDs. My managers meet with every single team member at least every three weeks or so. I meet with every doctor. That's my wheelhouse. I meet with every doctor every four to six weeks. 10, 15 minutes, that's it. You know, how are you doing? Am I supporting you? What does support like me? What does support for me look like for you? It might be different for everybody. You all might think that I'm supporting them. They may not feel it because it would look different to them and so it's important to know what their expectations are and we don't you know cater the clinic to everybody's needs or anything like that but if somebody you know definitely doesn't feel supported i want to know why and if i can do something simple to make that um change and i then i would how's training is it can we make training better your visual learner your book learner you know do you feel um, like you have the right people teaching you things? Are they taking time to yeah. actually teach you those things that you're supposed to be learning? Yeah. That's exactly, the, it's so important to create the space to have that conversation. When did you implement this into your practice? How long have you been doing well, KPDs? Years, years. Years and years. And um, and and I always tell my managers because, I t- you know, time's precious, right? Mm-hmm. I have 10 minutes with the team member. You have this list of things you want to say. I'm like, no way, man. It's not a talk to. It's a listen to. You read that. Mm-hmm. You, just, you get that all the time. Mm-hmm. It's listen to, listen to, listen to. And uh, you can you can lead the discussion, like the questions, the open-ended questions. Well, how are things going? How does you know, support look like? 
for you. You even outlined open-ended questions for them to okay. read so that they feel comfortable yeah. with that. I wrote we that for my managers. Not many people have this. Not many people do this. This is yeah. why I'm I'm trying to scream it from the mountaintops. And, and it's just so valuable, even the questions on here. And you have this outline for your management team to reference. I mean. Yeah. So what it does, right, is it um, there really aren't any surprises. Uh, that, that come up. I mean, very rarely. Uh, so if a team member's struggling, they tell you they're struggling, you can tell them they're struggling. You know, you can try to come up with a solution, try to come up with a goal, an e easily achievable goal to make them feel better, you know, just something like that. Um, where, where if you do get to the situation where somebody does have to be written up or something like that, it's really not a surprise. It's not like, oh my gosh, I, I just fear. This came out of thin air. Fear, um, writing this person up. She's going to be blown away by this. It's going to ruin her day. Well, she should know it's coming, you know, and um, communication. Communication is probably the biggest key to a vibrant culture. I think that's one of the biggest pieces. And it takes time. Nobody has time, but it's well worth it. I couldn't agree with you more. I yeah. believe communication is one of the biggest things hampering veterinary medicine right now. Communication yeah. with team, communication with veterinarians, communication with clients. Yeah. Heck, I think there's a lot of people who fail to even communicate with themselves properly, you know, and, yeah. and I think it's one of our biggest issues, but it gives me so much joy and so much light and so much just drive to know that there are people out there doing it right. And I know that there is, and I've seen some really cool places and I don't want to take away from that, but there, there are far more clinics struggling than thriving. And it, it, it's breaking my heart. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I made this jump of going from, I worked for an incredible company. I had great opportunity in front of me, but what hurt me, Dr. Earl, is that I left vet medicine because I didn't recognize my own what I thought was burnout, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't recognize it. I couldn't put the right words to it. Yeah. And then I started going into other places and seeing like, oh, wow, these places all are dealing with the same thing. We weren't unique. Like it's everybody going through it. And then I started to see the pain that that medicine is having right now. And I just couldn't do it anymore. Like I, I left that job and made this leap to, to go into this position of trying to make change and to come across people like you is what I do it for. To take voices like yours and elevate them is my number one goal. And to essentially copy and paste what you've done is what I'm trying to help with in, in these practices that are struggling right now. Yeah, I, I would say to that, you know, it's, it's really hard. Uh, I marvel at places like Chick-fil-A that can duplicate a culture. You know, it's really hard to duplicate a culture. Um, you can't steal a culture from somebody. You got to create your own. You got to go through the work because it's going to be at the end of the day, it's going to be your people and your place is living it out day to day. And so that's that's really uh, it's really high calling. But the but the uh, I guess the steps to getting there are pretty much the same. Yeah, um, I'm just going to hold their hand and hype them up. Like that's what I'm there for. I'm going to go into the places. Yeah. You know, I'm going to work with the people who want to make the change. And I'm going to be their biggest hype woman. I'm going to hold their hand and let them know that it's possible. And but it has to be up to them. Like they have yeah. to want it, you know. Yeah, they do. Um, they really do. And I, I, I think um, if given the opportunity and if it's done right, I think most places would welcome that. I mean, 
I think everyone knows that it's a great profession, but it should feel better than this, right? Mm-hmm. So. Big time. Well, and even having this podcast, you know, it's one of my ways, one of the platforms so people can listen and hear the people who are doing it right and be inspired, right? And like that alone is a, a big thing for me. That alone is me living my purpose. And so I'm just grateful that I've had this opportunity. And, and Dr. Earl, honestly, as we as we wrap this up, I could not be more uh, grateful for your time today. And I'm going to call, call you out on the podcast right now to see if there's a way that we can come back and have a second conversation. Okay. You said it, I have it recorded deal. All right. I'm not going to end this without telling you how much you mean to me and to this profession and to everything you've done. Dr. Earl, the way that you lead your staff, the way that you show up for them, the words that you use, the way that you're there for your clients, how well you practice medicine, everything about what you embody is what this, this profession needs. And I could not be more grateful that we were the lucky ones that got you. So thank you very much for everything well, you've done. I've been very blessed. I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, I love that. All right. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time.